The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX-11, is here. RX-11 is everything you need to fix, enhance, and polish your audio for music and content creation. Colton Culture listeners get 10% off by using the code FRET10. That's code FRET10, F-R-E-T-1-0, at isotope.com for the new RX-11. DistroKid now also has a motherfucking app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can now get an additional 30% off if you go to distrokid.com forward slash VIP forward slash Colt. That's distrokid.com forward slash VIP forward slash Colt. Or you can get it in the App Store. Fuck. All right. That's, we're rolling. Rolling. Planet B. Presents. Presents. Culture Podcast. Welcome to episode 35 of the Colton Culture Podcast. This is Justin Pearson. <laughs> and I'm not Luke Henshaw. All right. All right. This episode has uh, one of my closest longtime friends, Rob Moran, who's uh, one of the many San Diego mayors, one of the few <laughs> San Diego mayors, um, musical mayors. Uh, he was in a broken, over minute body, some girls, narrows, probably some other stuff. He's just such an outstanding human being. He uh, co-owns Heartwork Coffee, who's one of our awesome sponsors. Um, I don't know how to say it. I mean, he's just like one of the most genuine, sincere, sweetest human beings I've ever met. I I just absolutely love him. And it's crazy, too, because our conversation on this podcast could have went in a gazillion directions Mm -hmm. for hours. Um, He's just... He's just one of my favorite people. So um, it's cool because we, I did a long, a long time ago, I did like a, a brief little, before this was like an official podcast, I did a little piece with him, uh, Colton Culture volume, one of the volumes before it was an episode. Um, so it was cool to have him back on proper. Um, and this episode actually is pretty special because we filmed and recorded at one Kindred. of one of the best restaurants in San Diego, mm-hmm. Kindred. So um, Corey invited us to... Uh, collaborate with him uh cory the owner of of kindred and um yeah we decided to film and record there um just to kind of get a change of scenery and also mm-hmm. to just say what's up to an awesome restaurant that's now a san diego staple it's like you know when people will hit me up and say what record stores or what mm-hmm. restaurant should i go to that's kindred's on my list yeah. um i was there on saturday <laughs> there's like and it's cool because there's like secret uh like metal and punk yes, and hardcore stuff and mm-hmm. hidden and like you know you saw these rando regular people there that have no idea like how mm-hmm. rad it is um there's even an unbroken uh named beverage uh non-alcoholic of course um on on their menu i like the alcohol their drinks are very good yeah very good the drinks are amazing mm-hmm. um and also everyone that works there is amazing too so that's that says a lot too because sometimes there's like rad places and the people are kind of like eh there's just no fucking around with Kindred. So mm-hmm. um, so it's cool. And if you are listening or watching this and you come to San Diego and you're not from San Diego, you definitely should check it out. Um, it's just a great spot and it's a cool place to support. And uh, they're, they're also in tune with, um, you know, just like the artists and musicians of San Diego. Mm-hmm. So, um, so thanks to Kindred. Um, anyhow, we are excited for you guys to check this podcast out. Um, we hope you enjoy yourselves. And before we do start, I do want to say uh, there's going to be a complete 
sound shift. Don't be alarmed because we did record this in an empty restaurant, so the acoustics are a little. And um, we didn't know the airplanes came so close to that restaurant. So I knew it when I was on Guy Ferrari's show. Uh, they kept having to stop. They filmed it there to uh, one of their one of their dumb shows at um, at that at that spot. Uh, anyhow, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'd like to give a special shout out to this episode sponsor, which is Rock Roll Repeat. Uh, it's a t-shirt company run out of the Bay Area. They gave me this awesome t-shirt with crime on it. Um, legendary punk band. Um, they've done a bunch of cool shit over the past man, lot, mm-hmm. many years. Um, they did they did some collaborations with um, people from the Cramps. Um, they they're doing one now with. Um, um, Lookout Records, which is pretty rad. Um, oh, nice. There's a bunch of weird things, but I, yeah, I did. I, I did a sponsorship, or I did a sorry, sorry, I did a benefit T-shirt with them a while back um, with some Locust artwork. Um, they're just, uh, it's a really rad company. I, I highly recommend checking mm-hmm. them out. So if you go to Rock Roll Repeat and enter the discount code Disciple, um, you'll get ten dollars off your order, which is pretty substantial mm-hmm. if you are just buying one shirt. Um, but Hopefully you'll buy more than one. Yep. Anyhow, check it out. Rock, roll, repeat. We'll see you on the other side. Hey. Hello, my name is Rob Moran. I am born and raised in San Diego, and I do lots of things. Very impressive things. Yep. Come on, I'm broken. That was 30 years ago. It was last weekend at the Che. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Narrows. Narrows. Some girls. Some girls. Over my dead body. Yeah, you got all kinds the of... vows. You got some... Fuck. SS Warhead. <laughs> and an avid D&D player. Avid D&D player. <laughs> oh, God, I love Dungeons & Dragons. So um, to be clear, coffee. we have another bass player on the show. Yeah. Ba- all bass players. Yes. <coughs> yes. Do you identify as bass or guitar? Bass. Yeah. I'm a terrible guitar player. <laughs> I'm great with power chords, though. I'll write you some riffs. It, I did some girls. I played guitar in some girls. Yeah. Kind of. Um, okay, so real quick. We're at Kindred, and I, I mean, you introduced me to Corey, the owner. Yeah. And I think on the menu there's a unbroken beverage. Yeah, Kiss of Steel. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... Which I stole from Sam Hain. I know. I always thought it was a. Sa- I was like, "What? There's a Sam Hain reference, but I don't see the unbroken one." But yeah, yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Kindred, it's such a great spot. It's got like its roots in punk and and metal and yeah. underground culture. Cool and shit. DIY stuff. It's amazing. The I best love is this the, place. The sign above the door. Yeah. Hardcore, ne- hardcore, never. Hardcore will never die, but you will. That's true. It's very true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. You will die. Hardcore will remain on forever. Yeah. But I think they were talking about hardcore tech now. I don't think they were oh, talking about the stuff that we... I don't know. <laughs> don't ruin it. <laughs> it's all... They're all about Gabber here. Oh, man. <clears throat> um... Okay, so you tried to uh, avoid your, I, I guess, your resume, but I think it's very, very, very important in what Unbroken did. It's somehow, and I don't know how it happened. Like, I, you came from Chula Vista, and you were with all the kids from Santee, and a, and a band started that became something like a fucking unicorn. Some rare-ass <laughs> shit. <laughs> Just some rare-ass shit. I, 
Yes, so I, uh, so yeah, I grew up in Chula Vista, um, and um, um, I met Unbroken guys like Steve. I met Todd and Eric through our mutual friend Angela Eubanks mm -hmm. at Earth Day um, in front of the Cultural Center de la Raza. Like we were just happened to be walking. And I had seen Angela before somewhere at a show, and she's like, oh, this is my friends Todd and Eric. And Todd had a, a judge patch on his bomber jacket. And, or one of them did, Todd or Eric, one of them did. And I said, oh, like, are you guys going to the show tonight? Judge is playing with Bowl at my friend's garage in, down in Chula. Like, you should come out. Like, oh, yeah, we'll try to get down there, just if we can get rides. So that's how I kind of met them the first time. Then... I met Brian Hill, who was in a band with Cliff and Eric and Todd and this guy Chad called Flatline. Uh -huh. And there was a house show up in Claremont. And I went to that show. The band broke up like kind of right after. And they said, we're starting a new band called Them Broken. Cliff is leaving. Um, do you want to be in the band? So Cliff was playing bass? I think he was playing bass in that yeah. band. Cliff from Struggle. Yeah, Cliff from yeah. Struggle. Yeah, be, to be clear. Yes, Cliff from Struggle. <laughs> not Cliff from Social Spit. No, not I Wish. <laughs> I know. Awesome. I know. Um, yeah, so Cliff from Struggle was playing bass in this band, and they said that we're going to rename ourselves. You know, we don't know yet, and I, I think I'm broken. The name was getting thrown around. Years later... Todd and Eric had told me, oh, we only asked you to be in the band because you were popular and, like, people <laughs> knew you, and we just thought people would come to the show, <laughs> which is probably true, right? I don't know. I don't know if that's why they asked me, but um, so that's kind of how we started. Um, started practicing. Our very first show was actually down the street at the Alano Club oh, here yeah. in South Park. The place is yep. still there. Uh I think Struggle played. Yeah. Might have been your last show? No. Struggle's last show? It wasn't no. our, our last show was with you guys at the Che. Oh, that's right. Okay. But Struggle played. I remember you guys and Capo and all, it kind of uh -huh. like these mirror high school kid bands. Like, there was a lot of punks that went to mirror, college, or mirror high school yeah. in Kearney. So it was like us, Struggle, and two or three band, like random bands. But at the Alano Club, a couple blocks away from Kindred, and I remember we played Straight Edge Revenge. I know, I was so mad at you guys. He, Justin was mad, <coughs> called it fascist, grabbed, <laughs> grabbed the microphone so nobody could sing along and rolled on the floor. He's yep. like, this song is fascist, you can't do this. And he had his Cheeto dreadlocks, orange dread. You yeah. must have been like 14 at yeah. the time, 15. You're rolling around on the ground, not letting anyone sing along. You're like, I won't allow it. This is fascist. Okay, I'm going to defend myself here. I don't know if I would have called it fascist, but I definitely was like, all you motherfuckers are going to not be straight edge. Watch. And it, you were the only one that kept it true, but I was like, because Dylan was singing. I'm like, Dylan, you motherfucker. I love Dylan so much, and I love him post straight edge, but when he was straight edge, I was like, dude, you're a, kind of a butthole. So I was fucking pissed, dude. I don't know. I was fucking pissed. I, I thought it was fascist <laughs> leanings is what... Uh, yeah. But anyway, that's that, that's, that, that was our first show. And then, then things kind of moved from, from there um, as, as a band. Started just playing randomly around town, getting shows like in Orange County, Riverside, L.A. But it became a friends. thing that was pretty 
unique for hardcore. And I think a lot of it, it would be like stylistically, and I, and and that's not always the most important thing. But I I feel like it is very relevant because if you're in a if you're a 12 year old kid in a mall and you see someone with a crash shirt, that's like a code, so you know what's up. But it, you know, so you guys kind of redefined straight edge hardcore, but also just kind of like hardcore in general, in my view, because you guys were influenced by other things that at the time I don't think was very obvious to yeah, hardcore. I mean, they talk about bold and judge and then I'm broken. It's a, you guys stick out like a fucking sore thumb in a good yeah. way. Yeah, it was very different. I think... I think we liked that stuff at first, like, growing up, and some of it still holds up today, some of it doesn't, you know, but it's like with anything, you go back and, like, 20 years later, does this band still, like, sound as good as it did when I was a kid? You're you talking know? about Bold and Judge? Or just, yeah, just, yeah, <coughs> yeah, any, any, not just them in particular, I mean, because I still enjoy Judge now and again, you know, but it's, like, just in general, yeah. just music in general. I, I think for us, we were very... A lot of people in Chula were super into Smiths, Morrissey, like Depeche Mode. Like we went, a lot of us went to Morrissey's first U.S. show ever at the Sports Arena wow. solo show. Do you so think a lot that was like a Latinx there. thing too? Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, that's just what you grew up on. You grew up listening. You know, you were a rocker. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. you listened to, you know, Soda Stereo, or you'd listen to Depeche Mode or The Cure or you know, um, the Smiths. Because that's just kind of what you kind of just got into and then you were like into punk you know yeah but because so. most hardcore kids were just white kids yeah yeah but in san diego i would say it was more diverse i think even in san diego i mean yes yeah, was majority white but you know you'd go to shows and you'd see just a mix of kids yeah you know of all backgrounds like, that was a culture shock for me moving to san diego and then i'm like who the fuck is this morrissey guy and <laughs> Everybody love him. Where are you from like originally? Riverside. Okay. So that had yeah. a hit. I've heard of the Smiths then. You know? Yeah. I mean, I was 12 years old. Mm. But when I got here, it was just fucking huge. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was like a big thing here. I mean, it still is. I think it's like a lot of those... I don't want to make this about a Morrissey podcast. <laughs> but yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, but I thought this was a, a podcast about the cult. So I came prepared oh. with like temp, you know, yeah. Sonic Temples, yeah, trivia, and no, Let's pass on that one oh, too. Okay, too bad. <laughs> I like the cult. <laughs> no, but I, yeah. So we were kind of into that thing. A lot, a lot of kids were, you know. And then when I started hanging out with with Eric and they, I was like, oh, you guys like the Smiths and New Order and Joy Division? Like, yeah. So you know, we got into it, and then Steve was kind of hanging around practice. When, you know, he wasn't fully in the band yet, and Steve was a little younger than us, like, by, like, two years, maybe. So I think he's, like, one or two years younger than everybody. Um, he was 16 when he joined the band, but he was wearing, like, Cure and Smith shirts, like, from the day I met him. Yeah. He was, like, all into that stuff, too. So we just kind of bonded, like, yeah, we, like, metal and hardcore, but we love all this British music, you know, and I think for with the smith morrissey stuff a lot of those songs are you know yes they're love gone wrong right whatever but there's also this undercurrent of being other being an immigrant from somewhere else um and identifying with that what what it means to be other in a place where you don't fit in and i think that's why a lot of people especially here like my parents are from mexico and i was born here and so 
it's like you have half a foot in Mexico and a half a foot in the U.S. and you're supposed to, you know, and I'm not brown enough for Mexicans and I'm not white enough for white people, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, American or America or whatever. So you always had this weird shift of like not belonging and feeling other. And I think a lot of the Smiths and early Morrissey stuff, you really identified with like, you know, coming from Ireland to England and what that meant not being English. You're I no, you're Irish. It's the same. It's like, well, yeah, you're American, but you're Mexican American. Uh -huh. It's like there's always this asterisk. Mm. And I think that that kind of love lorn for like, I love my country, but I don't identify it because I'm you know, I'm always looked at as other. And I love Mexico, but I'm not Mexican. I because I was born here. So I, I think there's a lot of that undercurrent in why people identified so much with like Smith and Morrissey and Latin culture because there was this like sense of being other. Do you think that, and not to diminish that because I think all that's very important because it's it's but a microcosm of of the world is is the subgenre of mm -hmm. punk and hardcore. Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe it's the same thing because I mean I would talk to Eric about how he never felt that he fit in. And with hardcore, yeah, and but he was the best, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it, it was pretty pretty crazy to 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 see it like that because I feel like <clears throat> maybe the artist that really did strive to be um, I don't want to say like successful, but the ones that were like that you identify as like the the like pillars of punk or hardcore were always kind of like maybe. I don't know. I, I guess the ones on the fr on the fringes of it were the ones that were yeah. more innovative. Yeah, I mean, and then we all draw from those innovations, right? I mean, I think you look at it, it goes everywhere from, you know, the pistols to saying, yeah, this is punk and you dress like this and it's a, it's part fashion, part like we're just going to make a bunch of noise because we don't give a fuck, you know? But then you have people saying something like polystyrene, who's like, oh, bondage up yours, like, fuck that. You have bands like Conflict with songs like I've Had Enough about, you know, female empowerment. So you have all these things that, these fringe people, but there's ideals within that fringe that, like, teach you more than what school or society has. Mm. I mean, I, and, and I think that that's how, why I gravitated towards punk, or why you gravitate, or you, you know, we all gravitate because there's this fringe thing of like why is Genesis Peorage asking people to send these things in for this temple of psychic youth you know like what is this and then you read about Genesis Peorage and the temple and Throbbing Gristle and Psychic TV and you, and you like wow this crazy kind of punk adjacent offshoot of like noise and like weirdness and and cool things that were just created because it's just art and it's, that's what I love about punk and hardcore. People, you're free to do whatever you want. <laughs> but a lot of people don't. People don't because they're scared, <laughs> right? Know. And I think, I, I, I admit, I'm scared. I only go so far. Like, uh -huh. I never dressed the part. Like, I, how I dress right now is how I dress most of my life. Like, I, I never had crazy spikes. Like, never did anything real off the beaten path, you know? But... I played with people in bands that do that and you know there's people like you guys like pushing boundaries for art's sake because it's 
Like, I want to see what happens when I push the bubble over here. Does it burst or does it, like, allow me to stretch and go further mm. still, you know? And I think that's what's beautiful about things. Like, you, you, you took a chance, you know? You started a label. Like, why? Because you wanted to just push the envelope and do something that you believed in and support your friends. And same things, like... I started bands because I wanted to be creative. I wanted to see the world. I knew I didn't want to go to school. That wasn't the path mm. for me. But yeah, I have a job and I own a coffee shop and all these things and have a kid. So I have like, my life has always been one foot here, one foot there. But you know, and I do just enough to feel that creative outlet. You know. Yeah, we we talk about that all the time. I mean, especially with people that I work with, have to are too scared to step out of line and want to keep shit so traditional. Yeah. And I think it reflects on them and not willing, you know, you know who we're talking yeah, about, yeah, mainly on yeah. shit like that. But yeah, pushing boundaries, is, is, is it's boring to stay in the lines. It's boring. It, it is, it is. I, I, but I, I mean, we touched on it earlier when we were talking with Becky pre-pod about, you know, me just being, <laughs> me, me being in New York last week. It's like, I love New York. New York's awesome. I can dip my toe in and hang out and enjoy it and love it and get lost in it and, and have a blast. But I'm not built for New York. Mm. Like, just like creative stuff. Like, I can dip my toe in and have fun and be creative and see the world and play with my friends and have outlets and, and do things that, um, that most people don't get to mm. do. But... I can't live in it, and I have nothing but respect for the people that can live in it. But I've, I I've never, I, oh. I, I would say idealistically I live in it. Mm -hmm. I still feel punk, and I do things that support and, 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 and all that, but on a day-to-day -day basis, like, I'm not, like, my job isn't being a creative full-time, mm. you know? I, I think that people outside of San Diego can't hang here either. And it's not that yeah. it's like rough and hard and it's not, the hustle is like in New York, I get it. But when you, when people are here, they're just like, this is weird. I, I don't understand it. It's not for them. So maybe we have this like DNA where we're able to kind of work among it. But also too, like the, going back to like the, the sort of uniform or like the identity of, of things. To me, I felt like when I, when Unbroken fully like came into its fruition, like I felt like it was the most punk thing ever because you were redefining you know hardcore or straight edge hardcore and you were you were fucking with people without fucking with them you know yeah. like you got it was to look at you guys look like a bunch of morrisseys playing <laughs> slayer and being like the best on any bill was very impressive and very punk in its true essence yeah i i, I think that it, <clears throat> It all kind of just morphed into that. It wasn't like we all woke up one day and like... It's accident. Fun. It's sure. accident. And that's the best thing. You that's know? the most honest thing. Because it was just an accident. Like we were already like wearing our hair in pompadours. Mm -hmm. Like even like 91, 92, you look at the photos. Like we have pomp... Some of us have pompadours and like... You know, sometimes you might be wearing a hat, but there's like big hair or there's... Like, you'll see a band shirt that's not normal of that time. And, yeah, we got a lot of shit. People are like, this is not hardcore. You're yeah. not punk. You're not, how is this straight edge? Like, why are you talking <laughs> about suede? Like, how, and, and blur? Like, how is that? What about this band and that band? Yeah. It's like, yeah, those bands are cool, but I like that. But I love this, you know? It's like, and uh, I, I felt that we were drawing on those influences. Like, 
you know, the Damned and Jehu and Suede and Smith and Pulp Blur, all that, Joy Division, all that stuff. We were drawing on those influ influences, but not making it so obvious. It was just like the themes lyrically were desolation and sadness, which is a lot of what that music is. Yes, there's party jams there, and, and dance music is part of that whole scene with like New Order and all that, but it was very much a... I feel isolated, like, mm -hmm. and I'm not happy, so I'm going to talk about why I'm not happy, and I want to die, but I'm not dying because I'm, I have an outlet to keep living, and, and I think that's how I felt at that time, and, and, and Steve said something in an interview, like, a few months ago that, like, really resonated, because at the time, you know, you think it's these big world issues, like, oh my God, I'm devastated, I'm dying, but it's probably just normal teen stuff. We were all kids, like, mm -hmm. my girlfriend left me, I lost my job, my parents suck, but in the end, it's, uh, that's as big as your world gets when you're a teenager, and then as you get older and have to move out and have a job and all these things, you kind of, you kind of realize, um, uh, that the world's bigger and that your problems don't mean as much to somebody that's struggling in a third world country sure. or someone who's struggling to get across the border to make a better life for them and their family or somebody who, you know, just lost someone close to them. Like, your struggles are much smaller compared to the rest of the world. But also yeah. maybe, too, for you guys as young people, you seemed a lot more empathetic where, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, there was like a lot of hardcore bands at the time. I don't know, like, I guess off the top of my head, like thinking about bands like Earth Crisis or something that were very militant on a, on a very one dimensional level and not, uh, which were very problematic, you know, like the, like the sort of like violent aspect of, to people and making things, um, being, you know, excluding people or not really identifying like a, a more mature, um, reason for why they are reacting to something where I felt like a lot of the unbroken stuff was had depth to it and maybe it was maybe it was naively written or you you know mm -hmm. whatever but like I felt like there was yeah I guess there's more depth to it it seemed a little bit more um intellectual yeah I mean some stuff for us was it was deeper you know and I wrote a lot of the lyrics and for, it was very much a deeper feeling of of hopelessness at the time because I remember um, I was like oh wow I'm out of high school I have to be an adult and I'm in this band that is about to like go on tour and do all these things and what am I supposed to do with my life and it's it's very daunting but you just say fuck it I quit and you just go and see what happens and I, I think that those lyrics at the time were very deep and personal. Some of the lyrics were about being s hopelessly stuck in this machine. Like there's nothing we can do, we're all fucked. You know, like, so make the best of it while you're here. Like try to make the world a kinder place, try to, try to create something beautiful, try to make music, try to art, make art, push the boundaries, make, incredible food for people whatever your art is try to make it a beautiful place while we're here because we're all fucked yeah. like we're stuck in this machine and there's no escape i mean that was you know one of the lines i remember writing was only in death can we stop supporting them like that's it unless you go off grid you're supporting something you know 
like and it's hard and it's being 19 and thinking that way i'm like it was depressing like i thought about like i'm fucked like I, I literally thought like i'm fucked i was remember reading like you know interviews with like crass and conflict about how they like you know had squats i'm like there's nothing like that here there's you know yeah there's houses where you got like you know the east street house where you have like 50 people living in the house you know mm -hmm. And it wasn't a squat. You still had rent. You still had to pay yeah. utilities. You had water. <laughs> yeah. You had to go to the grocery store. You had to, you know, there's no escape unless you just go off grid. And I and I'm not built for off grid. So yeah. this is hopeless. So what I'm going to do is yes, it's hopeless, and there's not much I can do to change the system because it's the the you know the railroads there. We're on this train. Like mm -hmm. there's it's no stopping, mm -hmm. and you can't blow up the train, like. I mean, you could, but for the day. Yeah. And then the train, just someone repairs it, and the train goes right back on track. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it's, I am, my thing is, like, I just want to be kind, and I just want the world to be a kind place. And if I can be kind to people or do something that inspires people or support people that are doing kind things, that's all I care about. It's, it's a all that is so amazing because I, I, I tripped out, like, we did a previous podcast with John Reese, and he was talking about how, like, um, like all of the hard work that went into what he was doing, <clears throat> like Rocket and stuff, was fun. And I was like, man, it's crazy that you use the word fun because I, I don't look at it as like fun in the sense like, this is awesome, you know, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like it, but he was like, he's like, what is fun is, is being the best at what you do. And I was like, oh man, that's, that's pretty wild mm -hmm. to think of it like that. Because, you know, n like, I get, I get it, like, Unbroken was serious and, and it was very somber and had, uh, sort of this dark context to it, but it, it was fun in the sense that like you could go and see that band play or listen to that band and experience something, and mm -hmm. and it helped the listener and it helped people survive, and that's a yeah. that's a big fucking deal. It it is, and it's it's overwhelming, and I didn't know at the time what we were doing was helping people. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Like you know, towards the. We were much bigger in, in our death than we were when we were around. I mean, the tail end, the last few shows, yeah, they were they were kind of big. The last tour was decently attended, you know, and there were some big shows here and there in Europe. But then the band was done. And you don't, you know, yeah, I still went to shows and, you know, kept doing bands over the years. So it wasn't until we did that reunion show for Eric's family when Eric passed, it was like, holy fuck, like... So that was the first time Unbroken played after Eric passed? Yeah, 98. The, the, the one in... Um, San Bernardino. San Bernardino. Yeah, okay. with Crimson yeah. Curse and stuff. Yeah. So, so at first it was going to be at the showcase, and Izot said, listen, there's no way you can play here. It's going to be way too big. And I was like, do you think? He goes, I know. And I was like, and I had no concept of how big or little the band was. And he's like, I have this other venue. It holds about, you know, 1,800 people. Like, we should think of, I'm like, I was terrified. I was like, I don't want to play this place and have nobody show up. Yeah. And we did, and a bunch of people showed up. <laughs> and I couldn't believe yeah. there was just a sea of people. Yeah. It was rammed. And so I'm like, oh, wow, we did something. And then having kids up front, like, singing and talking and remembering Eric and thinking about what legacy he left you know, for his family and people that liked the band. It's beautiful. Yeah. And then we thought, okay, that's it, you know? And then we did the Burning Fight shows. And 
again, I was like, I don't think we should headline. I'm, I don't think people care as much. You know, I think there's pockets of people that care, and they were like, no, 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 you don't understand. And I was like, okay, and I didn't because I was playing in band still and going on tour and seeing some people that were around or younger kids that were like, oh my God, I just got into this band. And I didn't know you were in that. And, and you don't think like, oh wow, this has echoed. I didn't know. So like you were doing Over My Dead Body. I was doing Over My Dead Body yeah. and Some Girls and, it and Narrows. The, it wasn't it, having the Yeah, I mean people, did. yeah, people like liked the band and people, you know, you were there. People would support the bands and, you know, they were decently attended shows and the tours were great and it was fun, you know. <clears throat> but every now and again kids would come up to talk to me about Unbroken and then, then it was like, oh, wow, I didn't think that this really still carried on, you know? And then that those Burning Fight shows in Chicago and L.A., that's when it hit, like, oh, this band really means something. And then kids were just, like, crying and talking, and, and it's overwhelming, and you, you're appreciative, but it's really hard to hear someone else's grief um, when you're still kind of <laughs> reconciling your own. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. It's but the amount of passion that that people um, got from what you did is so rare. Not that it's unheard of, but it's yeah. so fucking rare. And I think that's something where, like, I don't know. It, it is weird to think about how Unbroken was the one, and you know, Over My Dead Body or Narrows or Some Girls didn't make that same impact. But there's a lot of factors that come come into it I, I suppose yeah I, I think it was just time and place and what we looked it was access to things I think there was like a bit of a mythos to the band mm. because we we didn't really do the reunion circuit we didn't do all that so people people kind of didn't know we people didn't know much about the band I mean there was like grainy footage and yeah you know stuff like that so it wasn't People just like heard, and then the guitar player died, and it just became this like thing of like, oh, this is real. It's like, yeah, it was fucking real, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like how we felt was real. Like how we dressed was real. Like it wasn't just like a wasn't like corpse paint. You kind of just you know that's how we dressed you all lived the time. It. Yeah, we lived it. We lived it. That's how we dressed all the time, and you know, got made fun of and whatever. You know, I didn't really care. We were just doing our thing. That was our art and how we expressed ourselves. And we would talk about these bands from faraway places that, you know, that meant a lot to us, that were inspirational to us. And then we'd talk about San Diego and how proud we were of, like, you know, Jehu and Pitchfork and, you know, and, and, and you know, Locust and Swing Kids, all that stuff. We were just, like, proud of, like, how diverse San Diego was, you know? I don't want to riff on San Diego too much, but, like, it is something fucking crazy here. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because I always struggle to think, like, does this happen other places? I mean, it does happen in other places, but whatever happens here is something so unique. And I, I don't... I, it has to be all these factors. Like, there's yeah. a gazillion factors. Well, I think about, like, when punk started, like, you know, New York, London, whatever, the fight, the, you can, the battle of who did it first, whatever. But I think about what was going on, like, New York was a fucked up place, and you were either just, like, a jock, or you were into Journey, or Yes, you know, some lame-ass band, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, yes is lame. <laughs> I know, but he's referencing Ownerville Lonely Heart, <laughs> or we're referencing Fragile. But anyhow, okay. The Nine Inch Nails record? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, but I I just threw the yes in because I know how much you guys love yes. <laughs> but I. Good one. <laughs> but I I think that like you think about New York like. It was just like gritty, messed up, hopeless place that you're either some jock or some thug, whatever, you know. And then you think about London. It was desperate. There was nothing going on. It was Thatcher's Britain. Things were deteriorating. There was no future. You had all that going on. So you have all these artists like, well, we're just going to like fucking create our own world. And have ideas and art and have all this exchange of information and ideas. And I think San Diego was very similar. It was a military town. So you either in the military or you were some jock surfer guy because it's a beach town and people get lazy because San Diego's chill. <laughs> you can just like, nah, man, it's cool. So you end up Sunday night football or, you know, whatever and surfing. And like that was, which whatever that you're into, great. But, and I think there was this like undercurrent of people like Bob Barley and the Amenity People and Cliff from Social Spit and all these people, Tim Mays, that were like, no, like there's more to the world than just that. Like let's, you know, expand the horizons and like bring bands and start bands and do shows and rent VFW halls. And then it just like snowballed. And I think that's why. I mean, when I've talked to Tim Mays about it, I'm like, what made you bring like fucking discharge and and all this stuff <laughs> and he's like oh you know i was just going to concerts seeing you know zeppelin all this stuff and then kind of heard about these other bands and then got interested and it's like wow i want that here i'm gonna start booking shows like so it's like this inspiration of like diy like that's what it is that's what punk is like mm. you started a label yourself you start a studio like all these people do all these things because they want to have a place where art and culture and things can thrive and support friends and support other artists. And I think that's what San Diego did really well. It was like, it's this weird military town where everyone could just be lazy and wear flip-flops all day. Or <laughs> I can bring cool bands to town. I can start a label. I can start my own band. I can start a screen printing company. I can book shows. I can do fucking goth clubs, punk clubs, whatever it is. Like people started creating space because they didn't want to be a jock they didn't want to join the military they didn't want to work in downtown or they didn't want to be a beach bum whatever it was mm -hmm. you know so i think that's why there's that i'm paraphrasing the ian mckay quote or whatever it was but he was talking about how like dc was right next to new york and it was just in the shadows of new york so it it made it for like a petri dish where like this sort of mold could could grow and create something unique, and I and I think San Diego is like that with Los Angeles. I think he might have even made that that um, correlation, but it makes a lot of sense because you know think about Los Angeles. They had everything. They were like they had all the rad shit going on. Mm -hmm. Here we didn't, so we had to kind of figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah, um, and a lot of it was happy accidents, like putting two and two weird things together, and then you had this new strange <laughs> thing. I mean, fuck, like yeah. Like crash worship, like what the is fuck, incredible. What the fuck is that? You know, right? Yeah, Zendik Farm. Yeah. Like, this <laughs> yeah. is a hippie con. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're gonna have this like punk noise art troupe 
come out and just lay waste to shit. Like, you know, like, yeah, seeing fucking, I remember at the Cultural Center at Bobo Park, it's like Crash Worship and uh, Drive Like Jehu and stuff like that. Like, just seeing cool shows that, it's like, wow, I get to see this fucking killer, like, post-punk, like, hardcore band with, like, this weird hippie art collective. Like, just destroy shit, you know? Or, like, going to school when I was at Mission Bay before I went to John Muir, like, having heroin play at my school or Force Down. Yeah. I mean, Force Down was a big deal. So was heroin, but like also just the fact that a band called Heroin is playing at my high school seems fucking crazy, you know? Um, But then even like, I don't know, I'm sure there's other schools like John Muir, but at the time growing up, I don't know if you ever knew anyone that went to John Muir, but it was like all the fuck-ups went there. And I went there because I was fucking up at Mission Bay (laughs) and I was able to graduate, but it was like going there and seeing... I mean, I'm almost positive Paris, the, the, the hip-hop artist, played mm-hmm. it in it, Muir, or at least someone at Muir put on the show. But, you know, seeing, like, that shit, it... it Amenity played Muir. It, like, it, I went. Like, so I ditched school. Out. Yeah, and Inside Out. And I ditched school with, like, Chris Kohler. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, someone else, like, old-school punk guy that's doing his own cool, like, little miniature game stuff, like... Yeah, I remember we ditched school and went to Mirror to go see Amenity and Inside Out play in a classroom. But I don't think that happens in New York or, or, or L.A. or whatever. I think they just do it at the regular venue. But instead yeah. we were like, well, fuck, we're going to do it in the school. Yeah. Or yeah. on a top of a roof or in a sewer or whatever, you know. Like, yeah. We just figured it out. Yeah, and I think that's why. It's just because L.A. got everything. I mean, L.A. had, like, Rodney on the Rock, who was, like, this, like, icon of, like, new music. And it's like, nah, that's fuck all that shit, everything's under two minutes, and, like, here you go, <laughs> like, and check out, you know, whatever, fucking Buzzcocks and The Damned and, you know, all this stuff, it's, 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 we didn't have that here, so I think people created their own, you know, Rodney on the Rock, people created their own labels, like Vinyl Communications and, um, and booking shows, and, I, and, you know, Cliff from Social Spit, like, bringing out, like, SSD records and stuff to San Diego, like, working at Off the Record, you know, Phil and um, Rich at Off the Record. It's like, they had record shop, but they had all the new punk stuff that you can go there and just get educated, like, get zines and books and records, and so we were lucky because people created these pockets. Like, it was was a youth culture movement of people. But also, like, Off the Record was pretty important at the time, because I would go in and, and see... To me, well, I grew up in Phoenix before, and so Zia Records was kind of oh, yeah, like, yeah. like off the record. Mm-hmm. Where you could go in, and they would be like, oh, <laughs> little kid, buy this birthday party record or whatever. You need this. But I would go into off the record, and, and Cliff would, you know, would, would tell me to buy certain records. And then, and then it was like, oh, then, then, of course, he told me to buy the Social Spit record. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're in that band. This yeah. is so crazy to me. Yeah. And, then, and then it kind of made everything level where it wasn't like, oh, you're the band. Like, oh, no, this is my friend. Yeah. And that was... That was Pretty unique, but also seeing like, dr- like I saw Drive J U, but I also saw Nirvana play it off the record in Hillcrest. Yeah, or, like that's crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I mean, I guess maybe it happened in other other major cities, but for us, we we were able to just make it work. In yeah, a, in because a you had a way. yeah, you had a lot of people that were like, I don't want to do this. I want to do this. You know, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. Uh-huh. You had a lot of people just saying, "Fuck it, this is what I'm doing." You know, like. I remember seeing, like, you know, John Reese when I was a kid, you know, like, Pitchfork, you know, playing at Iguana's, like, opening for 
Bad Brains, like in 1989. That's I was 16, and it was wild. It was like fucking Thunderdome in there. Like <laughs> it, it was, was so crazy, you know. You know, but then and then the next week, going to see like PIL play there, and then going to see like Buzzcocks, or they're going to see Sepultura. Like all these bands would come through, and you know, and it was awesome. You know, going to iguanas because people so just I, created spaces. Iguanas in in, in Tijuana for yeah. people that are listening to yeah. know, but that was like. There was this insane element of lawlessness when you would go there. It was like it was like the Thunderdome. People it was were, three levels, and people were jumping off the third fucking yeah. balcony. Yeah, it was so brutal. It was. Yeah, it was real crazy. Like because there was a while where you couldn't really do punk shows in San Diego because but venues wouldn't book them. There's also the Twenty One Up thing. Yeah, where it's like. It's just super strict. The cabaret here. license you yeah. had to do. We couldn't do all ages, so. You know, it's this venue opened up in the, called Iguanas in Tijet in Tijuana, you know, and it's like 10 minutes across the border, like 10 minute walk across the border. You just cross the gate and just walk, walk on in. And they had everything. I mean, I saw the most insane shows there. Yeah. Like everyone, like Nirvana, Ned's Atomic Dustbin, you know, fucking Buzzcocks, Seven Seconds, like. You know, Green Day, Rage yeah. Against Machine. Like I've seen everything down there. I mean, Front Two Four Two. Yeah, Cramps. Um, Cramps. Yeah. MDC. Like everything. Yeah. They had everything. So it was <clears throat> it was crazy. So that's another like kind of adjacent thing, and a lot of people don't think about. Like back in the '80s and early '90s, there was like a lot of crossover between San Diego and Tijuana because. There was bands there, so they would come up here and play. Bands here would go down there and play. And then there was, like, lots of venues and people helping. And now it's, like, starting to happen again with, like, Violencia and, like, mm -hmm. you know, newer bands. You know, so it's really cool to see, you know, and Renee from Fuerza Booking, like, bringing bands down there and then bringing bands from there up here. So there's a really cool thing that just kept going in San Diego where people created spaces. They weren't just creating spaces here. They were creating spaces in, in, in TJ, too. Yeah, but it's because all of our family was... Like, all of our, you know, community's brothers and sisters were right there. So mm -hmm. we were. it was the same thing. But now it's even harder because of the you know, post-9-11. Like, the, yeah. this getting across the border is insane. Um, <clears throat> but that's... Um, it's pretty crazy. So you were you touched upon this thing earlier where you are saying, like, you were kind of not, and it's fine, I understand why you wouldn't, but you weren't giving yourself enough credit because I do feel like um, what you do, you were like, you're like, I do these other things, like normal things or whatever. Like it's, but it is, all, <laughs> it is all to me seemingly punk because, you know, you started Heartwork Coffee and I, and I felt like, for one, it was like uh, when you first started, I remember there was a big article in Vice or something. Yeah. About, you know, the guy from Unbroken has a coffee shop. And that is probably not uh, every other coffee shop. There's a lot of them in San Diego don't get that extra thing. And, and people recognized that. And also the fact that like the way Heartwork um, functions is like, is punk, you know? So, yeah. so I, I feel like maybe you should give yourself a little bit more credit. I mean, even the way you, I, you know, not not to make it too personal, but like even how you, you know you raise your son and he goes to fucking hardcore shows and stage dives and shit. You know, like like. <laughs> well, he doesn't stage dive. He well, wants to. Yeah. <laughs> He'll get there. He'll get there. He wants to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even like the way his brain works, you're like that's he, you're creating. You know, like you are the parental figure pushing him into that world that has been yeah. influenced by that stuff. But but even like heartwork and all the other things that you do, I feel are. Um, 
seeped in those um, ethics and morals. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, I, I think heart work, you know, it wouldn't function the way it was if it wasn't for, for Sam and, and Kim and the yeah. staff, you know, because it's like they – but it's also – they're a part of the ethos. It's like we kind of just do everything ourselves. We don't have, like, big money. You know, some shops get all this money and are able to do all these things and hire all kinds of people and, you know, have these elaborate things. But we're just like, we just want to serve you a good cup of coffee and make your day better. Like, <laughs> kind and of like in a broken record. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, we just want to put out good music and, and here 3-1-G can put it out. Yeah. Yeah, and like I'm broken, it took a while to get there, I think. Like, I think the first couple of years it was fine because we were, use, you know, supporting you know, Dave Kennedy's spot, you know, and, you know, using different coffee. And then we st figured out, like, hey, we want to roast our own coffee. So, you know, we paid for Sam to go to roasting school, and he learned how to roast. And then we bought a ro My dad helped us get a roaster and, you know, all these things. And Kim's family helped us get a roaster. So we did all these things to, like, kind of just stick, keep it within, like, the family, so to speak. and And then... We just learned how to roast and then learned how to bag and learned how to sell. And, and we just kind of just taught ourselves how to do all these things. And I think for me, I'm a little removed from the shop now the last couple of years because of just the things. But like my work has gotten more busy. So now I just do a lot of behind the scenes stuff with the shop. I worked a shift, you know, every now and again. I was like two weeks ago, I was working there. But, you know, I always wanted it to be this hub of where people can just come and hang out and meet interesting people. And that's like what's happened. You have like people, people will come to town and they're like, I want to go there. You're yeah. Like, I mean, not this. I mean, it's, it's not to be like, it's just coffee, but like, I get it why people want to go to that spot. Yeah. It's something special. It's like pokies or whatever. Yeah. It's know? like pokies or even kindred, right? Totally. It's like, it's like you go to your way to bring people to pokies. Cause it's like, that's where you go for like, just good Mexican food and like art and like just but interesting there's a, there's things. Like a there's layers. History or a legacy. There's history. Like, yeah. And then the same thing here, like at Kindred, there's like a history and a legacy here with like Corey and his food and how he built it. So, and Heartwork has the same thing. It's like you know, everyone involved, you know, is like artistic in some way and has some sort of like foothold in like supporting something in San Diego. And so we try to work with people that are like like-minded or like come from the scene or at least support like art in some way um and it's interesting like you go to heart work and you see like a doctor talking to some kid with face tattoos or a lawyer talking to a piercer about blah 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 like it's just so cool that like people just it did what i hoped it would do sure. it's just a venue for people to hang out have a cup of coffee and just meet interesting people but there's also another level to that too like where <clears throat> if you're in again like you're a kid in the mall and you see someone in a crasher it's just the crass logo it doesn't really say what it is i, I have been <laughs> in new york and just not at a show and a, a, a dude would walk by me with a hardwork shirt on with the logo and you're like this is fucking crazy like that's yeah. the crash shirt you know, in a sense, it, yeah. it's pretty bizarre that you, you've harnessed that other element, which like the regular other coffee shops don't have that ability. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe I just don't notice it, but like I will go on tour and see hard work stuff more than I would expect. It's, it's really random. I mean, awesome. I mean, I know, like you and uh, Dave Lombardo were at Veggie Grill in L.A., <laughs> yeah. and then Dave sends a picture of you and him, and there's a guy randomly in line to yeah. order with a hardware <laughs> shirt. Yeah. And I'm like, 
this is so crazy, yeah. you know, that like it's, you know, it, yeah, it's really cool. Like, I'm very thankful. I would say, though, you know, Sam and Kim and the staff do like probably 80, 90 percent of the work. Like, I'm, I, I would say the first six and a half years, I was there almost every day, mm -hmm. like doing something, you know, but then just work got too much and I just couldn't keep up. You know, so now I just do behind the scenes stuff. And I think, yeah, and it's interesting, you know, like my girlfriend was said she was wearing a Heartwork shirt and like went to, was at some random mall and someone's like, oh yeah, I love that spot. Yeah. And it's just really cool. Cause you, yeah, you kind of don't hear that with other things as much, you know, it's like, it's an oh, like interesting. A, like the inverse of it. It's like a normie was like, I love that coffee shop. Yeah. Not like a punk being like, those are my, that's my family right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, 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 you know, but then it's like, we get mail orders from like all over the world, you know, and people like other shops from around the world kind of know about us and it, it's just, I'm just really proud of what we built. It wasn't easy, it's very hard, but it was a lot of fun and I am very proud of what we built. Um, it means a lot that you know, places like here or like even like consortium and other places like support us because they can easily go to some shop that has like 10 locations and, you know, has all the money and pizzazz, but they're like, no, like we like what you do. We like your, your ethics. Like, this is cool. Like yeah. you guys make good coffee and you're nice people. Like we want to work with you. And it's just means the world to me so that we built something that mean something to other the people. ethics of it i mean yeah. it's same with same with Corey and kindred i feel like and i it's it's not me like criticizing other places but this this is like our dna it's our yeah. it's our family and it makes sense why we would identify with this opposed to another restaurant or another coffee shop or another band or yeah. another punk band or hardcore band like yeah you just you either have it or you don't i guess and i'm not trying to sound elitist but it's just it's well, it's not even that. It's just like people can, people can feel the sincerity. Sure. It's just, it's not about like having a look or this or that. It's just it's just like sincerity. Like, are you sincere in what you're doing? But also, I mean, having a good product helps. Yeah. But then you also have like normal people coming here, yeah. and you're like, they have no fucking clue about all the like hidden gems that are yeah. in, involved. In no. This. But I think that's beautiful, right? It's like introducing. <laughs> I I love that though, yeah, yeah, me because too. to me it's introducing. I it's like heart work. People have no idea that the shop is named after a carcass album. You <laughs> have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no idea. There's people that do, and they message like, "Is this really?" I'm like, "It really is." Yeah. Like they're like, "That's so awesome!" Because when you see it, it doesn't look it. You would expect it to be like fucking dripping fake blood and have the death metal logo and yeah. it's just like no that's too obvious yeah. like let's just make it nice and and i'll never forget there was this couple that came in with a kid they just you know had workout clothes look totally normal like no tattoos and then the mom of the kid just goes to me she's like i have to ask like this is a stupid question but is this like named after the carcass record and i was like <laughs> you know She's yeah. like, yeah, I love car I started naming all these songs, yeah. and the husband's just like, what? She's like, ah, oh, I used to like be really into metal when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, this is amazing. Like, 
she knew all about it and i was like that she's like i love that that's so cool <laughs> like so that, it's just kind of really neat that like if you know you know and if you don't that that's that's okay it's fine. and it's just like we also just want to bridge that gap of like listen like i'm an atheist but I don't care if you're a Christian or whatever. Just be nice. Be kind. Like, be cool. I don't care if you're Muslim, Christian, Jewish, whatever. Like, just be nice. Like, be cool. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what you look like. You don't have to have a bunch of tattoos. You don't have to. Like, I don't care if you're in a suit or got butt flaps, you know, with ass up <laughs> patches on it. Like, I don't really care. I just want you to be nice. Like, maybe we learned that, you know, in, in San Diego, mm -hmm. like, because we were doing weird shit still rooted in punk and hardcore and then the rest of the world was like yeah fuck you guys you yeah know, you're weird and yeah whatever it, no it was back in the 80s and 90s it was a very strange time mm -hmm. like people were like you're weird like i don't want to talk to you like get away from me you have tattoos or piercings now it's like so ingrained in the culture like people don't really care so we just want to show people like you know especially at the shop like uh, you know just be cool like, just be nice. Like, that's all that matters, you know? It's not Like, the, the world sucks. <laughs> it does. It's a, it's a, it's a crummy place some, some days, and it's a mean place. And if you can just, like, give someone a cup of coffee and just be cool and nice, and they're just like, oh, like... And we have people. Like, I was having a really shitty day. Like, thanks for being nice today and for a great cup of coffee. Like, that's all I ever want. Yeah. You know? And... And I and I and it's like that through punk and hardcore, like with Unbroken. It's like, you know, any band. It's like, yeah, we talk about these crazy things, but it's like we just want to be nice people. It, it's crazy too, like <clears throat> the recent Unbroken show, both of them, but more so at the Che because it was very uh, centric to. It was like it felt like family. On so many yeah, levels. that was for us. But it yeah. was bizarre to see it happen. So, and so many things were bizarre. Like, uh, to see the really young people there and then the really old people. I was shocked yeah. that there was, like, 16-year-old kids, like, yeah. diving and singing along. I was like, how do you even know? And I, it's wild. To that me, was I crazy. felt like that, like that was a redefining of, of hardcore because it, it, it made, uh, it was just so, um, so when you were saying, like, you know, or we were saying that this is, like, a mean world, it made me feel like this is a beautiful world. Yeah. And... It That's can a be fucking crazy thing. Yeah, for those but, short moments in time, sure. you catch the beauty of it. But that's that's what this that's what we do. That's what art is, right? And hopefully, it, it's selfless. It, yeah, it's it's not it's not about like I'm gonna fuck everything up. It's like you can go go ahead. Someone's gonna come right behind you with the cement mixer and like repave the road. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But what you can do is make pockets of beauty and that's what art is. I mean, that's why like I get enthralled with like, you know, seeing photos from like, you know, Chad and Ben and Becky. It's like I I stare at these photos like I do like a a, a liner notes in a in a record. Sure. I'm like, who created this? Like, but, look at all these things, like, that's going on. And, and I think the, the Shea is an, is an aspect of that beauty that we created that night. All mm. of us collectively that were there created that pocket of beauty in a really ugly mm. world. And the people that were there, it was beautiful. It was cathartic. There was people crying, yelling, <laughs> screaming. I lost my, I couldn't even talk. Um, you know, so for me, it was, 
that's what art is. Mm -hmm. It's just creating something out of nothing. And that night we create a pocket of cathartic beauty for people that needed it. It's so fucked that Eric wasn't able to get yeah. that. I mean, he did, but he got it in some way. But I wish he was there to, like, know. Yeah. And I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sad that he'll never know. But it makes me happy that his brother and, you know, you know, family, nephews and stuff and nieces that he never got to meet, mm -hmm. like, get to see, like, what an impact their uncle had. Hell yeah. In, in this little pocket of the world. Yeah. You know? Um, I would like to ask you if you would just want to talk about what you have going on now in the future for you and, I don't know, or if there's anything else you want to... Because I was going to bring up the project you did with Paul Cook, which is fucking crazy, um, but I don't know. I mean... <laughs> What do you have going on now? Yeah, I working right now. <laughs> I think I'm I'm in this weird place where it's like I've I've I moved house and I'm slowly starting to feel where like I'm, I I want to be creative again. I I've been in this like support mode. Like I'm supporting the arts. I'm supporting bands. I'm mail ordering records, buying shirts, going to shows you know, buying prints, whatever it is, like, I'm in this space where I'm like, I want to be like backseat, like, I don't need to be all like playing bands. And I get asked all the time to play music, but I'm, I, I, I feel hopefully later this year, next year, early next year, I'll be in a place where I, I want to do that. Um, I have a lot of ideas, I have a lot of songs written and recorded. Um, it's fun, some of it sounds like gothy TSOL stuff, and some of it sounds like tragedy, you know, like, it's just fun to have these ideas, but I want to, um, I want to play music again at some point, but, uh, you know, Unbroken's playing in Philadelphia two nights with Blacklisted, which I'm really excited about, and... And I'm excited because it's new bands and old bands playing, and it's like two nights sold out. It should be insane because yeah. I think it's a seven or eight hundred cap room, so it should be pretty fucking bonkers. And it's our first time ever playing Philly, ever, ever, wow. yeah. So first and last because we ain't coming back. So <laughs> if you were there, awesome. Never say yeah. never. No, because I mean we even got asked to like, hey, these shows sold out. Do you want to come up to New York? I'm like, nope. I don't want to do it. I just don't. I want it to be special. And it's like, we did the Orange County thing for Dave, and it was really awesome, and it was fun and beautiful, and I loved it, and I'm so glad we did it. And the it Indecision was, Festival. The Indecision yeah. Festival. And it was so great to have my son on the side, like, watching me yeah. and just, like, hugging me and saying, oh, Daddy, you did really good. And that was like, oh, my God. Like, he was into it, and yeah. it, like... It made me well up because I was yeah. just like, oh, wow. He, he, he still talks about it. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe you play the show. Yeah. Like, he, he, he couldn't wrap his head around it because he's used to going to shows and seeing bands play. So he, but this, and, you know, and the Shea show was for us and these shows, I want to do it because I think it would be fun and, and I really love Blacklisted so much and the fact that, like, we were able to get them to play again was a miracle, and I'm really thankful that they're playing. So it'll be fun. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe a show or two in Europe, and then 
that's it. I, I'd love to do the Shea one more time. Just like, hey, we're going to play the Shea and just be done with it. Like, it's time to put it to bed. And we've done everything that we wanted to do. Um, you know, it's getting harder and harder to play. It's hard to play the songs in general emotionally. It's mm. like weird. I don't know how to describe it, mm. but when I play them, it's just weird because half the time I'm just thinking about, God, Eric would love this. Oh, Eric would hate this. Oh, Eric would be making fun <laughs> of this guy. Or, yeah. or Eric would love this dude, you know? Or So half the time I'm that. Other half I'm just terrified and I'm blanking. I don't even know what I'm playing. So it's, yeah. it's uh, I don't know. So that's kind of what's next. And, you know, hopefully... A coffee shop, kind of, we can expand and maybe open up a second spot. Mm. But right now, we're just really focusing on that location, our roasting, and and getting, you know, working on our wholesale stuff, and you know, and just like go to shows. You know, it's I still love going to shows, like big shows, indie shows, whatever it is. You know, small punk shows. You know, whatever. I try to get out as much you as still, I can. Um, do booty basement? Is that still going on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I talk about my DJ life. It's because I brought up Gabber. Your, uh <laughs> yes, I still, uh, I still do booty basement. I've been started out as a fun Sunday afternoon event for three people's birthday parties: uh, myself, Dimitri, and Mario Orduno. Started that night, or started out on a Sunday afternoon, and it was fun. So we just asked Sam. This is. 2002 yep. so I asked Sam like hey could we do this to Sam from Whistle Stop where <clears throat> we do that night can we do this on like a Friday or Saturday he's like sure and it's been going ever since so it's been going for 21 years and it's huge it, well I mean yes yeah we get mean, like yeah. three four hundred people every yeah, yeah, gets butts to nuts yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it really does it's it's really and it all started just for out of a birthday party you know that's great I wish it started for the birthday party mm. I want to say two things. One, I hope there is going to be another heart work, um, specifically in City Heights, but I, I really um, <laughs> do hope there's going to be another one. I want to see it become b- big. Or, you yeah. know, like, like I, think it, I think it's rad because it's so special. And the other thing with Unbroken, um, I don't like a, a, a lot of music, and I don't <coughs> like, um, I think a lot of, um, I hate using the word, but like reunion shows fall flat on a, a lot of, uh, levels and I think <clears throat> seeing a broken was really interesting because um, for one um, Todd stepped it up and he fucking was the best that I've ever seen him play I agree I, I was, he killed it uh, yeah uh, he was so incredible on drums um, and of course it's missing something with that Eric but that's that is not going to change but I felt like it sounded so good and you guys performed so well and it made me go back and listen to the music, and I realized that it holds up. Where like I think we were talking about like earlier how maybe like Judge or Bold might not hold up. So I think I think Unbroken, fortunately for you, uh, holds up. You know, where yeah. where like a lot of bands, you're just like this doesn't really make sense um, 20 or 30 years later. Yeah, um, it makes sense, and that's pretty rad. Yeah, I I feel that like we are very fortunate that most of the music holds up and we kind of just stick to that lane. We know what people want to hear, so we just play that and just have it be fun. But also, it's just fun to hang out with my friends. Because even when we're not playing the shows, we talk all the time. We have a text thread, and at least once or twice a week, we're all chatting about something, independent of playing shows. It's like, so it's, it's nice because we stayed connected. 
And I think that's why it works because it's sincere when we're up there playing, you know, because it's not, I'm not up there with like two dudes that I don't like talking to. Like I love talking to these guys and you know, I hope they like talking to me, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, so it, you know, and, and musically like what Steve and Eric created just I feel holds up and I think that's why it, it resonates like why people still care and you guys are family mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of a lot of times that doesn't really happen yeah so we, we yeah definitely we we stay connected and that sincerity I think shines through because you can tell we're having fun but we're also connected to what we're doing and each other you know yeah I um yeah uh, <laughs> that's I I can't, uh, I will say one thing, and I don't know if I ever told you this, like, I think one thing that changed the trajectory for Unbroken Forever and made us stand apart, it was, Life Will Regret, yes, because of how it looked and how it sounded and how we looked and all that stuff, the themes I think were different, I think that helped kind of alter our course, but I think putting out a record with someone from Struggle like gave us a different level of credibility. I think that it was, oh wow, like they're not just like a typical straight edge band, like they're fucking Mm -hmm. with like patch bands and like, you know, like political bands Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, like that's San Diego is our friend who started this label. And I think that first seven inch that you did changed the trajectory of the band forever mm-hmm. because it put us in a different category and it it we were already in a different category because of how we looked and how we were playing kind of more metally metallic hardcore but then that record was like more punk sounding more more thrashy punk sounding and it was put out by someone who was in struggle so it just opened up all these doors right and you got us in touch with Scott Byven to do the split 7 inch so those things sorry no, it was great. Uh, <laughs> no, it was great. I mean, I think that you were instrumental in the band's history, and I don't think I ever told you that. Thank you. So I feel um, like that you guys are my family, and it, and it is an important thing. Obviously, because of Eric, you know, because we shared we shared him and Swing Kids too. But um, I don't know. Like, I felt like Unbroken was not my band but you know what I'm saying like I felt like a part of it I, I had a connection to it in so many different ways but I also want to say like with that 7 inch um, I mean Eric was um, he's the one that steered that direction you know and, mm-hmm. it, and the rubber stamps were a total rip off of Force Down oh, yeah, Vinyl Communications down. yeah and, Gravity and, yeah, yeah. oh yeah I know it was all about and not even realizing at the time but it was very a San Diego thing and I think it was um, I think it, it, it did it did change things for Unbroken, and I'm and I'm glad I was part of that. I yeah. didn't mean I didn't know what I was doing. You know, none was, of us yeah. did. We were all kids, yeah. you yeah. know. And I, I think that's the beauty of it. We were just kids, just doing something that we liked, and again, creating beauty out of nothing. Wait, which is we interesting doing. because I, I remember when 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 that record was um, becoming an idea, I was like, I want to start a record label and have like nice real record covers. <laughs> and Eric was like, Nope, fold it over. You know, rubber stamp, and I and I, I was remember. like, I had a lot of um, 
you know, hesitation to do that. <laughs> but the funny thing is, I had no money, and so my friend uh, Richard Jones, who worked at Kinko's, yeah, was like, oh, yeah. we're just going to fucking steal all the covers. So we yeah. just, like, that was the, it really was creating something from nothing, because we were fucking yeah. stealing shit from Kinko's. And I remember, yeah, I was like, well, what are we going to do? And he's like, oh, like, there's this really cool uh, strip that I want to use, I want to get stamps. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. Like, no one's doing stamps anymore, except for, like, you know, gravity and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like... And you're not really putting stuff out right right now. Like that would be sick, you know. So I was stoked when he. I remember when he came up with that idea and wanting to go back and like using like scraps of paper yeah. and glue <laughs> yeah. it down that and was, just have it be yeah, all Eric strange. Yeah, was doing all that weird shit too. He was just yeah. wanted to fuck around, and I was like, oh yeah. man, it's weird. One thing I do want to talk about is the Gigi Allen story because I was listening to like the John Reese interview. And I remember we weren't old enough to get into the show, and we were standing outside, and all we could hear was chaos. Like, I'll never forget the chaos. Like, hearing people scream, and then a song starting, and then, like, some people just coming out, like, running, and, like, (laughs) it was wild. And then I'll never forget the show was over. It must have only been, like, 20, 30 minutes tops. He comes out, and he's just wearing underwear and boots. And smoking a cigarette, like, ah, and just all covered in whatever he's covered. Yeah. And I'm like, holy fuck, there he is. And I got so scared and I left. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to like him to talk to me. I was so scared. I'm like, Gigi Allen's like five feet away. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out what was, what was on his body. I mean, either. It, it was, was dark. It was the alley. Yeah. 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 But it was just cool to like hear John's perspective of being inside the venue when he was like, oh, no, it was the whole deal. I yeah. was like, oh, my he God. He did everything that people say he did. You yeah. Right. Yeah, so I just thought that was, like, really cool to get his perspective of actually being inside the venue while we were too young to get in it, and we can just hear. It's so crazy know? how many times Gigi Allen comes up on the fucking podcast. It's just yeah. out of me. We just, the last episode was with D-Styles, and he was talking about Gigi Allen. He brought it up. I didn't. I was like, all right, here we go again, Gigi. Yeah. So thanks for keeping it. Yeah, I'm keeping <laughs> keeping tradition. it real. Yeah, that's that's my Gigi story. But cool. you know, I I'm uh, I love what you guys do, and I love that you bring spotlights to to different people. You know, the Jose interview was amazing. Like getting his perspective of being, you know, um, Latino in in this scene and what it was like and it's true mm-hmm. like I was like oh yeah like Jose you're Mexican like, yeah, you're Rob yeah, you're Mexican and then it was like you just become buddies because that's you know so it was just cool to get his perspective of, like growing up in San Diego and like how he got into punk you know um, I don't know I love what you guys do we lucked out here yeah yep. <coughs> Kindred <laughs> thanks to Kindred for the amazing food Always. And the yeah. kiss of steel. And the drinks. And the kiss of steel. <laughs> and the drinks. They are good drinks. Yeah. Yeah, the kiss of steel. Because I, uh, that was a Sam Haynes song. And when I wrote the lyrics to Razor, I always, I always remember, I love Sam Haynes so much. And I, that, that's one of my favorite songs. And I always thought, like, what a neat idea. Like, when two cars, it's about a car crash. And when two cars are crashing, it's like a kiss of steel. And I thought, oh, you know, the song was about depression and wanting to kill yourself, and it's like, give me a razor. And I thought, what about the razor, like, kissing your, you know, give your wrist a kiss of steel? And I thought, 
like, oh, that's a cool concept, and that's kind of where that came from. Thanks, yeah. Glenn. Yeah, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> cool. There you have it, episode 35. I'm Luke Henshaw. And I'm Justin Pearson. <laughs> uh, thanks for uh, tuning in, paying attention to this one. Man, what a great uh, time this was. What mm -hmm. an awesome episode this was. Fun um, times. Yeah, and it's so cool to just be able to collaborate not only with like our guests, but also with other people such as Corey from Kindred. Um, anyhow, we appreciate you. We'd like to thank Earthquaker Devices, Fender, Hardware mm -hmm. Coffee, Andy, Becky, mm -hmm. and you, the viewer or listener. Um, and uh, Yeah, you guys are awesome. Thank you. And uh, we're part of the Ruinous Media uh, umbrella of podcasts, so check out all the other um, noteworthy podcasts that, are, <laughs> they're, that they're associated with. There's a ton of shit. Yeah. Ruinous has some seriously rad podcasts on there, so check them out. Thank you, guys, uh, and we will uh, catch you on the next episode. Yep. Bye. Bye. Colton Culture is proudly sponsored by Earthquaker Devices, Fender, and Heartwork Coffee. Planet B. Planet B. Planet B.